Thank you. you. may be seated. Thank you, team, Jeff, for leading us. And truly, what a beautiful name is the name of the Lord our God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thankful for that wonderful message and song, and also grateful. Thank you, Tony and Vaughn, for the scripture and the prayer. We welcome you again, and I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the text that was read earlier. Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 45. We'll be looking at chapter 48 in just a minute, but turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 45. And we're continuing a series that we've been involved in for several weeks during these summer months, late spring months, on the life of Joseph. And what amazing life his life is, right? But as I was thinking about how much detail that the Lord gives to the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis, I was intrigued this week to think about how little the Lord tells us about some things that most people would consider more significant. Everything that's significant to people is not necessarily significant to God, right? But think about it. For example, the story of creation. I would say that's a pretty big deal, wouldn't you? <laughs> pretty, pretty significant. The story of creation. And I would say it's rather important to understand that God made the heavens. God made all the stars. You know how much the Lord has to say about that? One verse. <laughs> Genesis 1.16. Here's what God has to say about creating all the heavens. And God made the two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. Now notice that. And the stars. Think the King James renders it and he made the stars also. Now, do you know how many stars are estimated to exist? I don't think anyone knows, but as we learn more and more and more about our solar system, our galaxy, and beyond, our minds break down at the thought. In the Milky Way galaxy, of which our sun is one medium-sized star, there are 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. That's enough for every person on earth to have 15 stars. That's one galaxy. Scientists today are now estimating that beyond our galaxy, with its 100 billion stars, there exists probably two trillion galaxies. 
two trillion galaxies. That's enough for everyone on earth to have 250 galaxies. I've always wondered when it says in the Bible that we as believers one day will rule and reign with the Lord. What will we be doing? I don't know. Maybe overseeing 250 galaxies would keep you active. I don't know. Just a thought. Plenty to do. I guarantee you, you will not be sitting around on a cloud, in a rocking chair, chatting with Elvis. <laughs> Supposing that Elvis is there. That's not saying. That's not for me to decide. We'll all be surprised who's there and who's not there, I'm sure. But when I thought about that, this past several days, 13 chapters to the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis, three words for trillions of galaxies, what does that tell us? Let me tell you what I think it means. People matter to God. People matter to God. My friend, you matter to God. No matter how insignificant you may think your life is, no matter the circumstances of your life at this moment, you matter to God. You are His image bearer. Now Joseph's story is 13 chapters. But I want you to understand something this morning. It's ultimately not the story of Joseph. Ultimately, these 13 chapters do not teach us about the life of a man named Joseph. The story is the story of the God of Joseph. It's the God of Joseph who's at the heart of the story. My friends, it's not the Bible that's just a book so we can know things. <laughs> no, the Bible is given to us so that we can know the author of all things, the author of our life, and in knowing him, have life eternal. Now, this story of God that's in this dramatic, incredible life of Joseph, the story of God is actually revealed in the three main characters surrounding and involved in Joseph's life. And that's where I'd like us to look this morning as we take an overview of where we have been so far to make sure that we don't lose the Lord in the wonders of His Word. The three main characters are Joseph, Judah, and Jacob. The message from this story is the God of Joseph, the God of Judah, and the God of Jacob. 
And so I'd like us to focus on God this morning, who is the, the central character of this story revealed in these three men's lives, Joseph, Judah, and Jacob. I want us to focus with this thought, the shepherd of Israel, the shepherd of Israel. Now let's begin with Joseph. What do we learn about the God of Joseph? Well, we learn several things. But we want to learn more than just about the God of Joseph. We want to remember, when we learn about the God of Joseph, we're learning about our God. Because the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Judah, the God of Joseph, the God of David and the prophets, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is one and the same God. And He's our God. So when we learn about God in these people's lives, we're learning about our God. So what do we learn about our God through the life of Joseph? The God of Joseph is our sovereign God. He's our sovereign God. Now, we meet Joseph in Genesis chapter 37. And we meet him as a young man. He is 17 years of age, approximately. And he has been given a God-given dream. Not once, but twice. A God-given dream about his place and his preeminence in God's plan for the family. But soon after receiving this God-given dream, Joseph's young life becomes a God, it seems, forsaken nightmare. He's given a dream, and shortly the dream becomes a nightmare. And it remains that in many ways for the next 13 years. What happens to this one who's given a God-given dream? Well, notice we're told that Joseph experienced sinful treatment from people. We see it. He was forsaken by his brothers. He was slave-traded. They threw him in a pit. While he's in the pit crying, they sit down to have lunch. Talk about murdering him and then finally decide why murdering him because we can make some money off of him that's Judah's idea let's sell him to these slave traders and that's what they did Joseph was forsaken by his brothers then Joseph becoming a slave in Egypt in the house of Potiphar is falsely accused by Potiphar's wife regarding a sexual assault He's falsely accused by her. He stands true for God and God's values and his commitment to his God. He's falsely accused and he's thrown in prison. So here you have a young man who clearly by the time he reaches the age of 20 has been slave traded 
he has been framed in a sexual assault accusation and he's been thrown into prison. And there, he serves God and he helps others. But when they get out, he's forgotten by his friends. He's forgotten by his friends. And years and years go by while he's in prison, forgotten by his friends. But how many of you know it's true? Joseph may have been forgotten by his friends, but he was never forgotten by his God. Never, never forgotten by God. And in his sinful treatment from people, what did he experience? What was greater than the sinful treatment that Joseph received from people? This. Joseph experienced the sovereign grace of the Lord. He experienced the sovereign grace from the Lord. And what amazing grace he received. He received the grace to persevere year after year. He believes in God, but he believes at times it seems against belief itself. Where is God? But God's grace is with him so that he perseveres in the faith. He continued to believe in spite of the struggles. All this glory goes to God, right? And then he's not only given the grace to persevere, eventually as he thinks about these things that have happened, God gives him the grace to perceive. The grace to perceive. God has a bigger plan here. He did give me that dream. He is the God of my fathers. I don't understand what's going on. I've come to slavery. I've come to prison. But now I'm seeing there's a bigger plan. Remember, this last 13 years, from the time he's 17 until he's 30, nothing makes sense. I've told you before that for a couple of years while I was in college, I had the job as a, an art gallery guard. And I've told you before my great credentials for that, owning a blue suit and being tall enough to push the button if somebody messed with the art. I fulfilled, though, okay? But I, in that job for two years, had the privilege of following around tours that would take place. And I, and I learned a lot. I really did. But in the opening gallery of this art gallery musician, there were, uh, museum, there were these huge tapestries, medieval tapestries from the late medieval era. And on them were these beautiful displays of stories in the Bible. And they covered all the walls around this huge room. And so the guide would go and tell the story about these incredible tapestries and tell the people on the tour they were made one stitch at a time. One stitch at a time. And then the guide would do this. 
he or she would walk over and gently pull back one of the tapestries. And the back of that tapestry was the most tangled mess you've ever seen. On one side is this work of art, this beautiful representation of a story from the Bible, but on the back side, it is just a mess. And my friends, that's the way life is. We cannot trace the work of the weaver of our lives by just looking from the back, moment by moment. But every thread has a plan, every stitch has a purpose. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. Eventually, God not only gave Joseph grace to persevere through these 13 years and grace to perceive that there was a bigger plan, but eventually, listen carefully, God gave to Joseph the grace to participate with him in the story of redemption and salvation. Gave him the grace to participate in his redeeming plan. I've asked you if you would, look in your Bibles here to chapter 45. Genesis 45. Joseph presents himself to his brothers. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. You think? <laughs> yeah. Verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. How do you get to a place like that? How do you endure being slave traded, assaulted, thrown in prison, forgotten, and when the people who put you through that hell are in front of you and in your power, you say, don't be afraid. God did this. My friend, it's only by the grace of God. He forgives. He doesn't ignore what they did. He said, yes, you sold me. You were wrong and sinful in what you did. But God took your evil and he turned it into a beautiful plan. And here I am to work with the Lord in preserving the life of my family. Wow. A victory of grace. How do you know it's a victory of grace in Joseph's life? Let me tell you how you know when you have become and experienced a victory of grace. 
You have truly experienced a victory of grace when you are a vessel of grace. When you don't do unto others as they have done to you. When you do not repay evil for evil. But when for evil, you respond with the love of God. Friend, that's not of human origin. That is God in your life. God has given us grace that we might experience, yes, the forgiveness of our sins, but He wants us to know just a little bit of His joy in forgiving those who have wronged Him. As we are vessels of grace toward people who have wronged us. Are we vessels of grace? Are you? My friend, I challenge us all who believe or know we have been wronged at times. I challenge you, do not be a disgrace to grace. As your Heavenly Father has forgiven you, so you forgive in Jesus' name. That's victory. God's grace greater than all sin. Greater than all sin that's been committed by us. Don't you thank God for that? That Jesus died for all of our sins. The grace of God is greater than all the sins committed by us. And friends, listen. God's grace is greater than all the sins committed against us. Forgive in Jesus' name. Praise God, as believers, we know the God of Joseph, our sovereign God. But also in this story of Joseph is a story of God's grace in another person's life. It's the story of Joseph's brother, Judah. What a story of God he is. What a story of God is in Judah What do we learn about our God through the life of Judah in this story? We learn that the God of Judah is our saving God. Just as God graciously saved Judah from his sins, God has saved us. You say, saved Judah from his sins? Yes. (laughs) Where do we meet Judah? Where do we meet him? Well, we meet Judah and we're introduced to a terrible person. He was not a good person. You see, my friends, you can never understand the grace of God until you acknowledge the badness of man. It is the grace of God that overwhelms our sin that makes God's grace so gracious and amazing. The Bible does not say that God saves those who need a little help. If you think you need just a little help with your sin, let me tell you something, friend. You're on your own. And it doesn't look good for you. 
But I want to tell you something else. If you say I'm a helpless sinner and there's no hope for me, I want to tell you out of your own expression there's hope because God has come in Christ to save sinners. That's the only people he saves. It's not the good people, the people who are healthy who don't need a physician. It's the sick. It's not the weak ones who need a resurrection. It's the dead ones. We're dead in our trespass and sin. Judah's a terrible person. He's characterized by horrible perversion. And that's a very fitting word. We've already seen that he was involved in slave trade. The slave trade against his own half-brother. Joseph. Who was it that came up with the idea, hey, let's just don't kill him. There's no money in that. Let's sell him. Who was it that came up with that idea over lunch while his brother is pleading for rescue from the pit? It's Judah. Nice guy. He's involved in slave trade against his own half-brother. And then in chapter 38, he's involved in the sex trade against his own daughter-in-law, Tamar. This is Judah. He is a horrible person. He's lived a life of moral perversion. He's a horrible sinner. But is he a hopeless sinner? No. Because where sin has abounded, what? God's grace superabounds. There is a grace of God that's greater than all sin. I can't imagine if it were you or me. Grace greater than slave trade? Grace greater than the sin of the sex trade? I can't imagine this. But that's the reason we sing what? Amazing grace. Judah's a sinful man. A horrible sinner, but not a hopeless sinner because there's a saving God. And over the years, God works in Judah's life. He sees his father's grief for the next 13 years. He sees what his plan of slave trading has done to his father. He sees what his Involvement in illicit sex has done to his family. He has children of his own. You think he ever looked at his children and remembered what he did to his own brother? As he imagines someone dropping one of his children down into a pit, selling them to traitors? Then comes terrible famine. There are no answers. The, the cattle are dying. There's no pasture for him and his family, his children, his aging father. And then he comes and there's this awful situation in Egypt. 
where, where his, this, this prince that he's met is demanding that Benjamin be kept hostage. And this is where we see there's been a change, a work of grace taking place in Judah's life because here we listen in to his humble petition. Years have passed and now he is on his knees pleading to a prince of Egypt that he doesn't know is his own half-brother who he sold into slavery. But he's pleading for the life of his other half-brother, Benjamin. Chapter 44, verse 30. Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father. This is, this is Judah speaking to the prince who is Joseph. And the boy's not with me then as his life is bound up with the boy's life. As soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to shield to the grave. For your servant became me. I became a pledge for the safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame with my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain. Let me remain instead of the boy. Let me be a substitute for him. As a servant, let me become your slave. Are you following this? Let me take the place of my brother and let me become a slave in his place. Let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. He's pleading for Benjamin. He's pleading to be allowed to be a substitute. He's pleading to be allowed to become a slave so that his brother might go free. And this is Judah broken before his brother and it breaks Joseph's heart. It breaks Joseph's heart and it's that moment that he reveals himself to his brothers. This one who threw him in a pit, this one who made him a slave, this one who brought down the grief upon his father, lied about him, sent him into Egypt, cost him his youth. Now, how changed he is. This man of horrible perversion is now become a man of humble position. He's pleading for mercy. One other scene I want you to see about Judah. <laughs> he starts out as a hum as a horrible, a horrible person, horrible perversion. Then we see him as a man of 
humble petition. God's at work in his life. But then we see him finally in Genesis. We see Judah in an honored position. An honored position. Turn to chapter 49. Chapter 49. Here's what's happening. Jacob is dying. He's called all the family together so that from his deathbed he may put the patriarchal blessing upon all of his sons. So all of the sons are gathered around. He's already blessed Joseph and in particular his two sons. Isn't it interesting? He crossed his hands. Bless the younger rather than the elder. But he did it in the name of the Lord, not the way that he did it to his own father. Years ago. And what does he say to Judah? <laughs> what, what does Jacob say to the son that threw his beloved Joseph in a pit? And sold him to slave traders. And lied to him for 13 years. What does this old man say? With his hands on the head. Of the son who did this to him. Here's what he says. Chapter 49 verse 8. He speaks these words. He's speaking with the spirit of God upon him. Verse 8, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey. My son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness, who dares to rouse him? Now you have to understand, Jacob is speaking a, a blessing. He's speaking it in a poetic language. Almost like a song that he's chanting over his sons. He's chanting this blessing over Judah. And then he says this, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. What does he say, verse 8? Judah, your brothers shall praise you. You know what Judah means? It means praise. <laughs> Judah, you will be the praise of your People. As a matter of fact, what do the descendants of Abraham to this very day call themselves? And what are they known as? The Jews. Which is from the word Judah. Your, your brothers will praise you. His, he'll finally live up to the name that was given to him. By God's grace. It's the name of praise and it's the name of a patriarch. Notice verse number 9. He compares him to a lion. Judah, you're like a lion. Does that remind you of anything else? There is one who will be the 
lion of the tribe of Judah. And then he says, kings will come from you. Kings will come from you. He says, the scepter, the scepter shall not depart from between your feet. The scepter, the line of the kings will come from you. And then this is very interesting. You might want to make a note in your Bible. It says in verse 10, until tribute comes to him. It can also, literally, the word here is a Hebrew term, Shiloh or Shiloh. Shiloh or Shiloh. It means the one to whom it belongs. The one to whom it belongs. The idea, the one to whom honor belongs. The one to whom tribute belongs. But read it this way, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until the one comes to whom it belongs. And to him shall come all the obedience of the peoples. What is he saying? It is from you, Judah, that will come the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, whose name will be exalted and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the grace of God. A horrible person. A terrible person. Broken by God's power. Remade to be a praise to His people and a patriarch. An ancestor to the Son of God. What a God we serve. Friends, I don't think we should give up on anybody, do you? With a God like this, don't give up. Finally, He's the God of Joseph. He's our sovereign God. He's the God of Judah, our saving God. And He's the God of Jacob. And I must just give you this overview. The God of Jacob. Now, you know, we learn more about Jacob and his life than any other character in the book of Genesis. We know so much about his life. And what does Jacob's life reveal about our God? Well, how about you listen to a man on his deathbed at the age of 147 tell you about his God? I've had a distinct privilege over the years of standing near the deathbed of people and letting them tell me about God in their life. Listen to this man. Chapter 48, verse 15. Vaughn read it for us earlier. And he blessed Joseph. How did he bless Joseph? The God before whom my fathers... Abraham and Isaac walked. The God who has been my shepherd. All my life, 
to this day. This angel, the messenger of God, God himself has redeemed me from all evil. May this God bless the boys and let my name be carried on, the name of my fathers, Abraham, Isaac. Let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. What does he call God? He says, God who is and has been what? My shepherd. This is the first time in the Bible God is referred to as shepherd. First time the Lord is referred to as shepherd. And Jacob knows the meaning of a shepherd because he's been a shepherd all of his life, 147 years. And he knows sheep. And he tells us of his God. The God of Jacob is our shepherd God. He's our shepherd God. Our sovereign God, our saving God, the God of Jacob is our shepherd God. Jacob knows what it means to be a shepherd. And he's had many sheep in his life, willful and wayward. <laughs> and he's been one of those kinds of sheep. Jacob's well-named. You know, Jacob has two names. Two names. His first name, Jacob. He was given that name at birth. He was born with his brother Esau. He was named because as he was born, he was gripping the heel of his brother Esau. And he was named Jacob. It means the one who grips the heel. Or it means also a person who grips to control. Wasn't he well named? For so many years of his life, Jacob is someone who has to be in control. He has to control situations. He has to control possibilities. He has to control people. Oh, he believes in God, but he doesn't trust God. And there's a difference. He believes in God. But when it comes to business, he doesn't trust him. When it comes to the future, he doesn't trust him. He believes in a God like the God Bette Midler sang about many years ago. God is watching us from a distance. No, 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 no. That's not our God. He's here in His creation, in our lives. He believes in God, but He doesn't trust Him. That's the reason He tried to control the birthright. Do you remember chapter 26? He makes a little deal to a starving man who thinks he's starving. Give me something to eat. Hey, brother, give me your birthright. God had already prophesied over him that he would be the leader. The younger will rule, was said of him. But how do you just trust something God said? I mean, you've got to get in on this, right? Let's help God out. Let's close the deal with a little manipulation. 
So he does this. He tries to control the birthright. He goes on to try to control what? The blessing. He tries to control the blessing. His, he even gets his mom in on it. Chapter 27. Deceiving his father Isaac. He even tries to control the covenant promises when God, in Genesis chapter 28, just you look these up, when God meets him as he's leaving the country, as he's, as he's going to get away from Esau, you know, got to get out of Dodge or literally get out of Beersheba, okay? God meets him. You remember the ladder from heaven, the whole thing? God says, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to bless you. And then Joseph says, if the Lord indeed will go with me, and if he will keep me safe and provide me food, and if he will help me to succeed, I'll come back to this place. It will be the house of God, Bethel, and I'll even give you, God, 10% of everything you give me. Wow. Thank you, God. Glad to have you partnered with me. 10% and leave me alone. He tries to control his prosperity. You know, he goes to find a wife and he finds Uncle Laban. Guess what? It's almost funny, isn't it? He finds a man trickier than he is. And that's saying something. And so you have chapter 29 to 30 of these two men trying to out-connive each other. Not trusting God, not believing the promises of God, but has to control things, got to control. Can't turn the whole business over to God. And then finally, when he's had enough friction with Laban and he's Got to choose between staying here with Laban or, or, or going back to home area. And Esau, he, he, changes, he chooses what he thinks the lesser of two evils. And he hears that Esau has heard about his coming. And it's coming to have a nice brotherly reunion and bringing his 300 soldiers with him. A little welcome committee. So... What does Jacob do? Got to control this. He divides up all of his possessions according to his wives and, and their, their servants. He's had children by them. And he divides them up and he sends over these animals and these gifts one at a time, one at a time. He's, he's buttering Esau up. He's getting ready. To be in charge of that encounter he's going to have with Esau tomorrow. But something happens that night. You remember this story? Genesis 32, that night, someone grips the one who's been controlling everything. And Jacob has a close encounter of the divine kind. God comes down and wrestles Jacob to the ground. They wrestle all night. This is one of the most amazing stories in the Bible. And this is the Lord. He knows. He's got a hold of the angel of the Lord. This is God incarnate. And 
he and God are wrestling in the dirt. Do you get this picture? Isn't this what life has been like for Jacob? Wrestling with the Lord, wrestling with the Lord. And finally, the Lord hits him on the thigh. So his leg goes out of socket or it's, his hip is broken. And now he's in the dirt. But guess what Jacob does? He just holds on to the heels of God. And God says, you know what God says to him? Let me go. What? All God has to do is just shake his leg and here's the first astronaut. Boom. I mean, he's, he's out of here. What? God, let me go? Why? Because he wants to hear Jacob say it. I will not let you go unless you bless me. What does that mean? He finally understands. I'm not in control. I've never been in control. God Almighty has promised to bless my life. I've worked every angle. I've tried every trick in the book I've gotten. And what I need now as I go forward, I need God's blessing on my life. And friends, what has God been promising to do to him all of his life? Bless him. He's a knucklehead just like we are. He's fighting the one who wants to bless him. But God knows the breakthrough has happened. He's not Jacob gripping, controlling. I'm going to give him a new name. Israel. What's that mean? A man who strives with God or a man who has power with God. A man who grips the Lord. No longer... Is Jacob a man trying to control things by controlling people? All he needs to do is just hold on to God. And God will work for him. What does he plead for? A blessing. Where does he find the blessing? Clinging to God. Oh, friends, Jacob said, I've got to name this place. You know why he named it? Peniel, the face of God. I have met God face to face, and I am no longer Jacob, the one who grips to control. I am Israel, the one who grips the Lord. I've come face to face with God and this God is the God who loves me and who desires to bless me. And you know what? From that day forward, he had a different walk. <laughs> he had a different name, a different character, and a different walk. For the rest of his life, he used that staff and every step reminded him of his encounter with God. 
I wonder, has your encounter with God affected your walk? Coming years are difficult for Jacob. The final scene, the final scene of Jacob's life. You know how he dies? Here's how he dies. He dies blessing God and blessing others. He's found out and he's lived the last many years of his life. They've been hard. But in his sorrow and grief, he's clung to the Lord. And the Lord has amazingly intervened. And he dies blessing God and blessing others. And friends, if we want to die blessing God and blessing others, let me tell you, you need to live blessing God and blessing others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And your neighbor as yourself. Jacob's testimony is, the Lord is my shepherd. I wonder, 800 years later, if that's what one of his descendants of the tribe of Judah had on his mind when he was in a covenant relationship with God and he was king and he had been a shepherd boy and God had stayed with him through his life and he wrote a song about it. The Lord is my shepherd, King David said. Let's stand. Thank you for your patience and attention. Please, let's quiet ourselves. What have you learned about your God today? Your God is sovereign. Do you trust Him in His control? Your God is a Savior. He saves horrible people. He saves sinners. Will you bow to Him? Will you trust Him as your Savior today? God is a shepherd God. And would you say in your situation that he's put in your mind right now, would you just say, Lord, lead on, lead on. I'd ask you, let's look to the screens together. If you're prepared from your heart to enter into this worship, would you say this song with me? Say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen.